Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's ask. Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. I say we, not because I have such an inflated sense of self. I mean, I might. Beside the point, Damian Dunn joins me in studio. Hello. Hi, Pete. You know, two wrongs don't make a right, but two Dunns do make a show. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this week on the show, we have a fixed annuity question. What is it, like a run on annuities recently? It is. Fascinating article uh, out from Bloomberg News about people making the wrong social security choices. Probably the least surprising thing I've ever said to you. Yeah, it's something that we deal with on a daily basis on your money line, and it's something that people get wrong all the time. I make terrible decisions all the time personally, not financially, but other areas of my life. Knowing it's a bad decision, I do it. I'm like, yeah, it'll be okay for me, and it never is. Uh, when we talk about Social Security here in a little bit, I, my uh, theory here, my hypothesis, is that most people are like, well, we'll figure it out, and they don't. No, they don't. Until then, let's answer this question. Oh, Dame, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? This uh, We're this little section of the show called Checking In with Dame. Dame, how's it going? That's great. Thank you for asking. Let's move Pete. on. All right. Pete, we're in the process of... <laughs> you know, when people write emails, they do it in different ways. Like, they'll structure it different. So this person wrote Pete, and then bullet point number one. Like, it's sort of... I'm into it, though. Yeah. I'm into it. Um, Dennis writes, Pete, one. We're in the process of signing with a planner who proposes we take our money out of IRAs, mutual funds, stocks, put it in fixed annuities that are rated highly uh, for nine years at 6.25% with caps. He said we could live on income from federal government retirement, Social Security retirement, wife and I, four-unit apartment building in California. Okay, so that's point number one. Are you with me so far? So far, I'm hanging in. Two, another planner said similar things, but to get money out of the market, put it into a different annuity, 4 to 7%, depending on the market and with caps. Okay. Okay. Uh, Haven't signed... Oh, wait, hold on. I haven't signed yet, but they both predict a big correction anytime soon. Three, (laughs) several others have called from a financial website... Is it us? Do we call? Do, you, do we call I, people? I don't think Dennis is on my list. No, we don't call people. But the two above are the only ones we've seen yet. This still seems confusing, and I'm very concerned we haven't considered IRS home mortgage in the calculations. Also, uh, don't want to leave something out to bite us later. I'm concerned about market correction, but don't want to move forward so fast. What are your thoughts? Thanks, Dennis. Can we call him Denny, do you think? I think so. Den? Mm. Um, all right, dude. Where, where to begin? So let's start with uh, one. A fixed annuity was 6.25% at nine years. That doesn't seem right. Now, what's paying 6.25% on a nine-year contract right now? I don't know. And those are strongly rated companies. I know. I, the, the first one makes me nervous. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to know more about it just to see what else is out there. But uh, that doesn't seem right. Let's have a couple things that are important to say. You and I do not operate in the annuity world. Not at all. 
but we operate on the outside of the annuity world, meaning that we, we constantly are evaluating these sorts of decisions for people, helping them evaluate their own decisions. Back in 2002, I saw some 6% fixed annuities, but I've not seen them since then. About a minute ago. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no way. So I don't, I, I'm skeptical that we're missing something there. Um, but it does say with caps. So I don't think that one's actually a fixed annuity. I think it's an index annuity mm-hmm. that caps out at 6.25. That could very well be. See, here's the thing when it gets to annuities. It, we've, we talked about it all the time. Annuities can be confusing, but that alone is not a reason to say, oh, you shouldn't use them. But this bothers me. When, when considering a purchase of annuity, people don't get the terms right, and it terrifies me. Yeah, I, there's the old saying that never do something unless you understand it financially. Uh, is you know, that it, an old saying? Who said it? It was like an old man? Yeah, uh, Ben Franklin, actually the first person that said that. I don't know. And, and, and that was a direct quote. <laughs> direct quote, Pete. Wow. Anyway, uh, it, but it's just good advice. If you don't understand uh, the stuff that your financial advisor wants to put you in, ask him to explain it again or her to explain it again because you need to understand this stuff. So there's no way that's a fixed annuity, right? Um, another factor here, oh man, this is this. I don't want to get too finite into the particular details of it. I think I think we need to go bigger picture here. Number one, clearly they're selling on fear. Yeah, I. There's a fear aspect to it for sure. They both are predicting a big correction, which I don't know about you, Pete, but a correction would not surprise me. Right. I mean, I, I would go as far as to say I, I'm not a prediction guy. I can totally see a correction coming. The question is, is it worth doing something with your money if a correction is coming? Because the people that did stuff with their money in 2008 that tried to do something different in the end have lost out based on... Yeah. Uh, what the market's done since then. Now, I, I also want to say that uh, Denny, Dennis, I'm sorry, Dennis, uh, makes the comment that the first advisor said that they could live off of their streams of income plus the rent that they get from their apartment building in California. Right. So if this money isn't needed, is it worth being tied up in an annuity? We had a situation like this not long ago. Yeah, it's true. Well, it, I almost would ask the question the opposite way, though. If the money isn't needed, what's it matter that it's tied up into an annuity? Well, I guess it gets back to what's the ultimate goal for this cash? What's the objective? So yeah. if this cash is gr- uh, conservative growth, mm-hmm. not a terrible spot, the first nope. one at least, right? Yep. If the point is income, uh, I don't know. I don't think he really needs it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's almost like the... The same question we had a couple weeks ago, but the guy is younger as opposed to what happens on the back end. Yeah. I think I kind of just referred to that. (laughs) This is like that thing a couple weeks ago where it's the guy... Yeah, it reminds me of that situation that I just talked about. (laughs) You know, he does make another interesting point. I'm moving on. Um, He hasn't been... Uh, talked to, to about taxes and the impact on mortgage calculations, those sorts of things with these advisors. Can we make the assumption it's because these are really about product sales at this point in time and they're not necessarily doing a full financial plan on the guy? Oh, man. that It could be. Uh, gosh, he, 
He uses the word planner, and immediately I think of somebody that's doing a comprehensive plan, but sometimes advisor, planner, all those if advisor, mis- all yeah. those terms are used interchangeably. Shouldn't and, be. And shouldn't be. If he missed fixed annuity versus an index annuity, what are the chances that he's calling these people's planners and they're not planners? Because, um, you know, I'm going to go back to this first point, that... This idea that the the person told him that he can live on all these other things, but not he doesn't have to tap money of this annuity, very well could be true. But it also makes it seem like that's a way, a great way to sell an annuity that maybe isn't a perfect fit for somebody. Yeah, I agree. I I think there's some question marks that are being raised here. Yeah, I'm not saying I distrust any of these people, but I I, I also the third thing. Several others have called from a financial website. How what's that happen? Don't take calls from financial websites. I bet there was a steak dinner involved. I love dinner. I have no problems with annuities, but I have a problem with annuities when they're not put in the right uh, situations. Uh, I'm a little nervous about this. This guy doesn't understand the difference between a fixed and index annuity. And if you're listening right now, and you're like, I don't understand. Great, but that means you probably shouldn't buy an annuity right now. Um, the planner thing doesn't feel plannerish. I don't know. It, 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 you're not car buying here. You know, you're not. You're not comparing two cars. They're, they're just really different things. Pump the brakes, Denny. Pump the brakes. Coming up after the break, Dame. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have you make a, a really good point. I'm going to restate the point <laughs> as my own, and the listeners will just be tickled to death. <laughs> you like that? I do. All right, we're going to do that next, right here on the Dame the Planner Show. I'm his co-host, Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Microphone sound. All right, I move my microphone. Damien, we're moving into a new studio here in a couple weeks, and I think I'm going to replace the old uh, swing arm here. It's been with me since 2009, and it squeaks really bad. Some WD-40 might take care of that. Ah, I'm not into dance beats. All right, listen, uh, Dame, the UV-40 joke. Uh, yeah. uh, Dame, we asked people last week if they thought you were funny to send an email to us that says, <laughs> Damien jokes are funny, and I have to say, we did not get a single email that well, said that. Well, it's because people were busy. They appreciate my humor. They didn't have enough time to do it. A story out of Bloomberg News uh, via the IBJ said, Americans lose trillions claiming Social Security at the wrong time. All right, so before we get into the details of this thing, this is not surprising. Nothing is surprising about this. Not at all. I always feel bad when I say things like, if you're looking for what the right answer is, generally go against the flow, financially, go against the flow of people running towards what they think is the right answer. Yeah, being a little bit of a contrarian financially usually works out for you. Almost always. Yeah. I mean, really, if, if if you hear something and that's what everyone... Well, it's not what you hear about hearing something. It's what if you, if you see what everyone does, do the opposite and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about it. Here's the best way to think about it. Let's say everyone's like bailing out of the market. If you were buying into the market, then you would be buying at a really good price. Absolutely. Consult your financial advisor. Okay, so here's the thing. People can start claiming Social Security as early as, as 62 years old. Social Security retirement payments. Most people know that. Mm-hmm. And... If you wait until your full retirement age, and I say that with air quotes, but I didn't do the air quotes, but it sort of felt like the, then you can uh, take it at 66 or 67, depending on when you were born. And then if you wait until, um, 
as late as you can. You can take it at 70. Okay, Social Security retirement payments at 70. You get a pretty significant increase on the monthly payments for the rest of your life. So that's that's the score. Dave, do you want to add any color to that before we talk about where this goes wrong? No, let's jump into where it goes wrong, and we will start to fill in the blanks. Okay, so there's some rules of thumb. Um, sometimes they don't apply. Sometimes people uh, misapply them. But it all begins with longevity. Dame, if you think you're going to live a really long time, when should you take Social Security? 70 years old, or as late as you possibly can. And I think this is a, a pretty good rule of thumb, even though we don't say rule of thumb anymore because it's a pejorative. But rule of Peter. Pretty good rule of Peter. Um if you're going to live a long time, which no one knows, but if you have longevity in your family and your health is good and you aren't battling a bunch of stuff, and you get to these ages, 62 and 70 range, chill and wait till 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It increases your payment for every year that you wait beyond full retirement age. Your payment is going to increase about 8% per year. And while we can't say that's a great route of return um, because it doesn't exactly work that way, it just increases the payments by 8%. On the flip side, if you get, you know, an itchy trigger finger and you're 62 and you're like, I'm tired of this. And by this, I mean, working with people like me, mm-hmm. then you could pull the trigger early and reduce your benefit from the full retirement age by 25%. Yeah. It's, it's a large amount, especially when you consider that it's going to happen forever for the rest of your life and potentially your spouse's life as well. Yeah. So a lot of people get this wrong. Right, and that's what this report says: is that it's costing Americans trillions of dollars. Okay, here here's uh, some direct quotes from the study. How while most people are better off waiting until age seventy, about forty three percent of adults would actually be better off claiming earlier benefits than that. Okay, um, so we just said one thing, and this says that sometimes the other is true. Mm-hmm. I think this is where this gets really confusing and people will listen to a show like this and say, oh, well, they said this. No, no, no. We're giving you some guidelines, but you need to go talk to someone that runs your very specific situation dealing with the age of your significant other, Mm -hmm. your age, their health, your health, your other assets, other income levels. What else do people forget? Um, Part of this is also determined on who was the breadwinner. If there was a dual income household, who was the breadwinner and who made a little bit less, that can have a big effect on who's going to start taking their benefits when? Because uh, when one of you eventually moves into post-retirement, as we refer to it. I, I had to quit, call a quick timeout this week because there's a there's an article in the IBJ this week about uh, Tamika Ketchings, mm-hmm. uh, great mm-hmm. Indiana Fever basketball sure. player, gold medal winner. And the article is titled, What Tamika Ketchings is Doing in Post-Retirement. Ooh. Like to us, when we say post-retirement, it means you're dead. Yeah. I, I think retirement is what she's in but are they yeah. saying she's unretired she's unretired now uh, well post basketball retired well i, know, I read that and i was I like is she dead and then i she's not yeah which is great i'm glad she's not yeah hi tamika thank Go you ahead. for for everything you've she done. doesn't listen yeah. she's a very nice person though maybe she will she might she's very inquisitive uh she, she I, i've met her a few times she's like one of those people that just wants to learn like she's she's fascinating person maybe this podcast will be what uh, uh introduces us to her and her uh, her non-dead post-retirement maybe we can have her as a celebrity guest sometime that'd be sure. amazing she's awesome we'd love to have her um there's another part of the study that it was interesting about the sort of the, the bigger implications of this if everyone took benefits at the right time this analysis concluded the poverty rate among elderly Americans would drop from about 13% to 7%. Uh, 
Meanwhile, the wealthiest 25% of retirees would get an average 14% income boost over the rest of their lives versus the 6% for the poorest quarter of retirees. Uh, so there's a, here's what this is saying. Uh, elderly impoverishment happens late in life, right? The later you get. I mean, truly as late as you can get because you just run out of money. You mm-hmm. run out of, you know, we'll call it supplemental income tools. I don't know what that means. Um, so what this is saying is that won't take place because people will have larger income payments from Social Security and they won't have to tap their other sources as much. This is also assuming that people are going to be... Um, willful enough to not increase their lifestyle because they've got additional funds available to them. This is also assuming people aren't going to increase their lifestyle because they'll have more funds available to them. Had you considered that? That's an amazing point, Pete. Thank you. That's a really good point that I made because this ignores behavior. It, it, it doesn't ignore the behavior of making the decision to, of when to take Social Security, but it completely yeah. ignores... The toilet paper theory, right? More, yeah. more roll, uh, more TP on the roll, the more you'll use. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, assuming people are going to behave as rational beings is, frankly, a mistake. A most giant mistake. So um, while all of this statistically may be 100% correct, if you ignore the behavior component of it, you're asking for trouble. Because m- making the right decision is one thing. Being able to live with that right decision and apply it and have it affect your life is a complete other thing. I have another anecdotal theory here. I find that people in this age group, 60 to 70, uh, get a degree of fatigue, Mm -hmm. financial fatigue, and they're just over it and they don't care, even though it's when they have to care because the decisions really matter. And it's it's sort of a form of capitulation. They're just like, whatever. I'd rather have it now. Mm-hmm. Sure. You see that? Yeah. Me too. And that's Absolutely. where mistakes tend to happen. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think Social Security would be over, I mean, around for us, you and me? In some form, yes. I, I don't think there's any way that a law gets passed that would <clears throat> terminate the Social Security pro- uh, program. It will get modified. There's very small doubt in my mind that it will be modified, but um, it'll still be there. Here's what we're going to do after the break. Uh, I have not told you about this yet. Excellent. These are the best. I want to look at the free college and student loan forgiveness uh, proposals going on right now within the world. Sure. And I want to I want to explore them from every angle. What is maybe good? What is horribly bad? Uh, Not that you and I weigh in and say this is the way we should go, but I I think sometimes when in political discourse we throw out these great ideas, let's put a jukebox in the cafeteria, like. There's, there's got to be some sort of pragmatic sense to it, and I don't know if there really is. So we'll explore that next. Uh, Damien Dunn in studio, drinking a Diet Coke, at, you know, because that's what he does. I do. I'm drinking coffee. No one cares what we're drinking. We'll be back in a moment and tell you what we're going to eat for lunch. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show, talking student loan forgiveness. Dame, I didn't know if you knew this, but it's election season, you know, a year and a half out from election season. I couldn't be less excited. You really uh, couldn't be because I mentioned something about uh, recent debates and you're like, I don't care. I don't. I, I 
try and avoid it as much as possible. Good for you. It keeps you mentally sharp. There's two major proposals out there from Democratic presidential candidates, one from Senator Elizabeth Warren and one from Senator uh, Bernie Sanders. And I want to talk through what they are proposing happens with the student loan bubble in this country. And then what I'd like to do is to give two financial experts' opinions on this, uh, but then just talk about it. Uh, Damien and I are entitled to our opinion. Um, it doesn't make them any better than your opinion. Curious as to what your opinion is, feel free to email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. We like civil discourse here. Damien and I often disagree, so who knows? We'll just keep it civil, too. All right, Dame. Under Elizabeth Warren's student loan forgiveness plan, do you know this, or am I, am I informing you for the first time? Um, You've yeah, seen I, I've heard a whole bunch of stuff floated around. I just I may not know whose plan is which, so this will be a good refresher. Uh, under Senator Warren's proposal, student loan forgiveness would be capped at $50,000 per borrower. Okay? Okay. All right. Um, eligibility, of course, is important in this. It has uh, a means test, and eligibility would be based on income. Borrowers who earn $100,000 or less would be eligible for the maximum student loan forgiveness of $50,000. Okay. And if you earn between one hundred to $250,000, it would be gradually reduced. <clears throat> That's just me coughing because I don't have a cough button, and I don't feel bad at all. Hmm. I do feel bad, and that's why I brought it up. I'm trying to deflect. Borrowers who earn more than 250000 would not be eligible for that at all. Um, under this proposal, Senator Warren's campaign said that 75% of all outstanding student loan debt would be canceled, and 95% of student loan borrowers would receive at least some benefit. <clears throat> under Senator Sanders' proposal, all $1.6 trillion in student loan debt would be canceled immediately, and there would be no means testing their income qualifications. So uh, let's start there. And we can dig deeper here in a moment. But what do, you, what do you think? What do you think? Um, I'm conflicted about student loan forgiveness, to be honest. Yeah. Um, it is a... <clears throat> I have not, no, I need a cough I button. passed the cough. Yeah. Can a, a, like... Yeah, you know, yawns are catching, and now apparently coughs coughing. are catching, too. Um I'm conflicted about student loan forgiveness. It's a huge issue that needs some addressing, but it's not like it's a surprise either. There's no nuance in this. No. Especially with Bernie's plan. No. Um, so I, this was a cost that was knowingly taken on. It's, it's not like you, you all of a sudden figure out that, oh my gosh, college is expensive and I'm going to owe a whole bunch of money and it's going to really impact my lifestyle. That's, that's not news to anybody. So this is a cost that you are knowingly walking into when you sign up for it. That should be your issue and not somebody else's. Personal responsibility, I'm, I'm kind of big on. So now, to that end, <clears throat> for a long time, students have been sold that college is almost mandatory anymore. And that they may feel like, well, I really don't have many other options, so I've got to go try the college waters and, and see what happens there. I'm here to tell you that college is not the only option. Which is where my point begins. Well, okay, the, the to, big, yeah. I'll, I'll pass the baton. All right, thank you. We just did a hand motion thing, and I feel really yeah, weird. Yeah, it was kind of... Why did we do I that? I don't know. So glad there's not a camera in here. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, so that's where my point begins. So I, I totally agree with you. 
I think to take the rest of society who has not gone to college, who does not have student loan debt, mm-hmm. and to ask them to absorb as a taxpayer mm-hmm. that that that's gross. I don't like that because they either didn't go to college because they didn't want to, which is their prerogative, and they didn't want to deal with the financial ramifications of that, or even worse, Dame, they couldn't financially make it happen. So, or, or, or they felt so bad about the system that they chose to not make it happen. Thus, they are now still uh, paying for other people's college yeah. education. But you know, and now I do understand it's not that simple, right? Because um, how these plans are paid for, sort of a you know magic shell game of mm-hmm. um, you know tax the rich and this or that. So there, I think this is unfair to people who did not go to college. I think it's incredibly unfair to people who did not go to college. And I think it's mildly unfair to people who did go to college that fought and scrapped and paid it off. Sure. I, <clears throat> there's a lot about these proposals that don't give me warm fuzzies. Sure. They just make me uncomfortable. Is there a way to get around this without mass forgiveness? To get around the bubble. Around the bubble without mass forgiveness. Um, no. N- no. I, they w- there would have to be some law changes that would essentially make uh, student loans dischargeable way more easily. With bankruptcy. With, but then a person wipes out their entire financial life. Yeah. The other element to this that Mrs. Planner brought up when she and I discussed this, which, uh, which we did not agree on this topic, which is fine. Uh, it wouldn't be the first. Is that this is great or whatever, or it's not great, but let's say it happens, it still doesn't solve the problem going forward of the cost of education. Right. Uh, in some way, forgiving all these student loan debt, you could argue it would make college more expensive. Sure. Uh, so unless there is a free college element attached to this, this is her point, this is pointless. And that's she's right. And, and let, So let's say you wipe out everyone's student loan debt, $1.6 trillion, which, by the way, dude, Think how many people have borrowed for college via home equity lines mm-hmm. and 401k loans and all those things that would never get paid back under this um, would, would put those people at a disadvantage because they did what they could do under the rules to try to, to finish the job. Sure. So let's say that's all wiped out and then you've got another child about to go to college and that child, what, we're going to do this again and then forgive the student loans another 30 years? There would have to be a free element to that. I, I honestly have less of a problem with free college education than I do mass student loan wipeout. I think there is an argument to be made for some level of post high school education uh, to be you know free paid, free paid for. Um, my concern with that though is that it starts to get watered down and it becomes basically grades thirteen through fifteen or sixteen or however far that education is going to go that it's. And I'm sure there are some people out there that would say some colleges have already turned into that, that it's it's such a watered-down um, offering that it's it's really not what college was intended to be. And then there would already be premium offerings, yep. that then, and then everyone would go for the premium offerings, and you start over again. Yep, and you're going to have those two tiers. So you're going to have the, uh, the the publicly funded options that are, are free to the, the, the user, and then you'll have the ones that you know, still are able to be achieved by folks with some means or they just want to take on more debt and get themselves right back into a similar situation, but you're still going to have a different strata of, of education available to people who can afford it. 
at the risk of stepping in this mud hole. Are there parallel parallels between this and healthcare with the same logic or with a minute left, or is that a completely different thing? Well, that's a good question. Um, there certainly could be. I mean, every, I, yeah. I, yeah, I think it's, a, I think it's a little different. It's a little more complicated because then you get into pricing of drugs and services and all those sorts of things. It's a little more and availability of, um, you know, care is, you know, I don't know. Let's, we probably shouldn't yeah. talk until we develop that a little bit more. <laughs> Thanks dad. Um, I, I just, as we wrap here, I, I would say this, I don't want people to have student loans. I just can't see that the solution is mass forgiveness. And, uh, I could see at least a free college option being helpful for people. But wiping out $1.6 trillion in debt, even if it's a balance sheet move, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair, not to me, whose family paid for my college education, but for those people that did not go to college because of the limits of this. I just think that's not fair. So coming up after the break, we're going to hit biggest waste of money of the week, your college education if you paid for it, apparently, Uh, (laughs) and the news. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner Show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is, Dame, I've got two. I've got one that's cheap and stupid and expensive and stupid. Which one do you want? Let's go with cheap and stupid. Good, because that's where I'm at. So you really just saved the show flow. Uh, The Blackwing Pencil. Blackwing's story goes all the way back to the launch of the 602, I assume it's the 602, in the 1930s. Relied upon by such notable artists as John Steinbeck, Stephen Sondheim, and Looney Tunes legend Chuck Jones, they were discontinued in 1998. Revived by Palomino in 2010, these modern black wings are softer than the 602, but exude similar quality with the same iconic square, furl, and eraser. The standard black wing has a matte black finish and black eraser, while the pearl has a white finish, white eraser, and slightly firmer graphite, available in packs of 12. So this is a $25 pencil, Damien. For one? A pack of 12, which doesn't make this seem that bad, but I mean, man, people really know those pencils. When was the last time you used a pencil? I'll write with whatever I can find. It just so happens I can rarely find a pencil. I've, uh... My kids, uh, well, my youngest uh, had kindergarten this year, and so we've got some, um, have you seen those really thick pencils? Oh, yeah, I love those. I, I, I need a thick writing utensil. I can actually write really well with that. I can too. Which, I don't know what that says about How'd me. that kindergarten graduation go? Uh, everybody walked across the stage. They, they did were, it. Yeah, it was, they did it. it was, Is there someone that hasn't graduated kindergarten, and, and that's who we're trying to like exclude here? You yeah. did it! <laughs> you went to school every day that your parents made you to go. That's right. And you learn about colors and stuff. That's right. Uh, the biggest waste of money of the week, part due, is Chernobyl Exclusion Zone Tour. HBO's miniseries following the tragic nuclear accident of 1986 has inspired a str- surge of interest in the city of, I don't know, in the neighboring power plant. To feed the need of hungry fans, Atlas Obscura has organized the Chernobyl Explosion Zone Tour. The 11-day excursion will guide guests through this radioactive wasteland to explore in Ground Zero, the reactors and other facilities within the nuclear power plant. 
Although, as you're visiting the site, keep in mind the wishes of the show's creator, Craig Martin, and please remember that a terrible tragedy occurred there. Comport yourselves with respect for all who suffered and sacrificed. $4,225 to walk around a nuclear wasteland. That doesn't seem like a great life choice to me. There was a great line I read this week uh, on the internet, something to the effect of, I can count the number of... I can count nine times I felt bad watching that show all in one hand or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I, I butchered the joke. Why would you go to a nuclear wasteland? I go, like, yep, yep, we're in a nuclear wasteland. There are lots of places that you could go in, in the world. A nuclear wasteland is probably not high on my list. I don't know. Uh, Dame, this week in uh, Financial Current Events, uh, a guy wrote a column for Market Watch, uh, an opinion piece called "These Sixteen Money Wasters Are Why So Many Americans Can't Save for Retirement." These are the best. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play. Oh, oh, he's a 75 year old, big money wasters. Okay, here we go. You know what wastes money, Damien? Can I call you Damien? Sure, it's my name. Tattoos. Okay. Two hundred dollars an hour, my ear. <laughs> A tattoo on your ear? $200? What? Yeah, exactly. Tattoos are a waste of money. Well, I don't know if they're a waste of money. You know what else is a waste of money? What else is a waste of money? Vacation. Vacation. That's right. All right. Now you're now you're cutting a little bit too close. This is according to my column. <laughs> you want to go to the Magic Kingdom, just bang your head on a ladder, and see stars and be fine. Uh, it's you know what else is a waste of money? <laughs> What? College. <laughs> no. You don't have to go to college. <laughs> you know what else is a waste of money? Please tell. Restaurants. Okay, yeah, some of them. Oh, well, you want to eat? I'll, I'll give you that. People are soft these days. When I was a kid, we'd go to the sorghum fields. It's <laughs> <laughs> all you can eat. It's free. I think that's called... Theft if you're you know what else people waste money on? What's that? Opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to my list here. I wrote this for Market Watch. It was Richard Quinn, and these are the things people waste money on. Number six, transportation. Yeah. When I was a boy, we walked. Uphill. Both ways. That's right. You know what else? Credit cards. I I agree with you there, Richard. Good point. Call me Dick. Next one, lottery. Yep. I agree with that one. Totally. Clothing. When I was a boy, we wore a fig leaf. Just covered our, wear our swimsuit covers. No one could see those parts, but all the rest were wasteful. Good point, Dick. Shoes. Shoes are a waste of money, according to my <laughs> list at Market Watch. When I was a boy, we would take um, deer hide from roadkill and just tape them to the bottom of our feet. We'd walk around and someone would say, oh, dear, I love your shoes. Mm. Mm. You know what else is a waste of money? Tchotchkes. <laughs> That's right, tchotchkes. Why are you going to decorate your house? They provide a little bit of flair for your house. You know what else is a waste of money, according to my list from Market Watch? Failing to look ahead. I don't even know what that means. I don't got much time left. 
Number 13, no backup plans. It's a waste of money. Yeah, you can get yourself into some trouble if you don't plan ahead. You know what was a waste of money? What, Dick? Holidays. (laughs) Okay. Sure, Jesus was born, but you don't have to buy your cousin a gift over it. (sighs) Happy Hanukkah. You know what else is a waste of money? Toys. You play with a stick and a hoop? Yeah. Kids don't need toys. Parents spend $6,500 a year on toys. Just take them to Chernobyl and have them play with the lizards. All five heads of them. You know what else is a waste of money? Haircuts. Well. When I was a boy, we grew our hair out so long that when we walked to school, we'd trip over it, and then we would just lay on the ground and eat the rocks because that way we didn't spend money on food. When you were a boy, you had a hair. Uh, so that's Richard Quinn's. Um, 16 things that people waste money on. I can't wait to have Richard Quinn as our special guest next week. I don't know how any of those things make sense. Some of them actually make sense. Obviously, people waste money on this stuff. But like, at what point do you check yourself in the mirror like, man, I'm really making some old guy comments. You know that I do all the time. I got some old guy in me. But oh, yeah. I mean, okay, so like he didn't the, say Starbucks though. He didn't. No, he, didn't he, say Starbucks. he loves his caffeine. No, like like shoes. He's, the guy's not saying shoes are a waste of money, but having thirty pairs of shoes. Hey, let's not look me right in the eye when you say that. Uh, it's, if it makes you uncomfortable, there's probably some truth to it. That's true. Um, thirty pairs of shoes might be a little excessive, or a lot excessive. Yeah. Well, you never know. Well, yeah. Different occasions. All right, I'm going to go. I don't have any tattoos, though, so that's good. Not yet. I'm, I'm yeah. still waiting for the, uh, uh, the company tattoo. Tattoo. We should get company tattoos. So anyway, there's Richard Quinn's list of things. What else is in current financial, uh, financial current events? Uh, 40% of Americans say the next recession is already here. Is that an opinion question? Isn't it an economic measure? Yeah. I, it, it, We're not contracting. It's, it's, it's still an interesting observation though because people feel like things are starting to constrict and they're reducing their spending and it just feels like i mean you saw the consumer confidence level number it, it i didn't it, it fell pretty sharply oh i didn't see yeah, that it, it went down pretty good this time so okay um I, I think we may be starting to uh pretend or act like we're in a a, a downward or a, a recession but uh i you know we talked about it earlier in the show I, I could totally see a correction on the sure. horizon as possible. Like, I'm not predicting it. It just would not surprise me might be the best way to say it. A recession doesn't necessarily surprise me. We're about due. Yeah, we're going to have one. I right. just don't know when. But I wouldn't go as far as to say it's already began. I probably have said that at some point in time in some bold statement. Yeah. Damien, we're out of time. Okay. Thanks for being here. Uh, special guest Richard Quinn. Thank you for your time, Dick. And that's all we have time for this week. So I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. Damien, do you think anyone's going to email about that i hope so i'm pete the planner and this is the show and